Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's See what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Burr! Freezing. Oh, ditto. Burr, yes. It looks so nice and sunny, but as soon as I go outside, all of my goosebumps say, go back inside. (laughs) 
nonetheless, all the little little noses of the bulbs are peeping through because it is so bright and mm-hmm. sunny out. Mm-hmm. We woke up the other day. Beautiful snow, but it melted away. So it was just a little blanket of white. Nice. Springtime weather. <laughs> what's happening with you? What's up in your garden? Well, in our garden, we have um, decided one of the areas that was previously for pasture area for horses, um, we're transforming that into um, a forest. So we planted a lot of saplings this year, and I will say um, really kudos to, there's a tree nursery program here that's run by university, Mason State University, which is a, a state you know school here in Illinois, and they make saplings available of native trees so I know it's going to take a long time but I'm we're just really excited to be oh planting a lot there and letting it re-naturalize itself encouraging birds and other trees to seed themselves so we've been doing that and made another stall in the barn because hopefully baby goats will be arriving very soon oh Um, yes (laughs) yes yeah, so I'm starting to get nervous a little bit, but I all will go well. If not, we'll do what we can. You know, I have another radio show, a radio show at HealthyLife.net. And mm-hmm. every year for that radio show, I choose a theme. It's just me. It's not like an interactive show like this blog talk is. And the theme for this year is trees. Mm. And then I talk about a specific tree each month um, in addition to having like a little sideline or a box or something kind of about trees. And I just recorded the show for April because we recorded at least a week early. And my little sideline was wherever you live, find out who's giving away free trees for you to plant. Yes, yes. Because they Mm -hmm. are. Yes. Is it your local cooperative extension? Is it your local state university? Ask around. Mm Mm-hmm. And and once people, once you find out about it, I mean, even if these weren't free, but they might as well have been free. It was like 25, it was like a dollar a tree or something like that, you know, and just amazing. They come so healthy and um, it's just so exciting. We planted 72 of them, and they had thousands and thousands available, and they are gone. So, yeah, find out, ask around, people know about it, and get on the list as soon as it opens for whichever resource you find. <laughs> yeah, New York City had a one million tree initiative, and they planted a million trees, I think, within the past couple of years. Yeah. Nice. And also, our Department of Environmental Conservation, and check out your DEC wherever you're living, because they might have something. Our DEC offers free trees to people in riparian areas, people along watersheds, right? Oh, wow. Nice. Wow. Because it's really important to have trees there and and those areas. Mm -hmm. And they also have... Um, funding for 
tree caretakers. If you don't want to dig a hole, if you don't want to plant a tree, because let's face it, you have to dig a big hole. It's a big deal to plant a tree. It's not like mm-hmm. sprinkling some seeds on the ground. <laughs> right? It takes a shovel. Yeah, you need a shovel. A shovel. Get, yeah, get your hands into the earth. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it didn't take you 75 minutes to plant 75 trees. Uh, no. <laughs> it took us a couple days we were planting the, the trees, and we were lucky because the ground, the soil was so soft and generous in the pasture that we were planting in. So we could do it in two and a half days. <laughs> two and a half days, two of you. Two of us, and, you know, a lot so that's of five, So that's five person days, let's say eight-hour days. That's 40 hours. It's half an hour a tree, yep. about what I estimated. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I was saying is there's funds for tree caretakers because once the trees are in the ground, well, good, but they still need to be taken care of. That's yes, and especially in urban environments. Mm-hmm. And what a relationship to build a re- with a tree in an urban environment. Oh, when I lived yeah. in a yeah. Oh, there were such special trees. I worked at a little shop and. The trees that were outside the window, oh, I just love them. The birds were, you know, you could see the same ones coming back all the time. And, yeah, relationship. <laughs> relationship. And the tree of April is maple. Oh, yay, the maples are budding and, like, changing. You can watch them almost day by day. They're changing. <laughs> and there are recipes galore for all parts of the maple, the maple buds, the maple flowers, the young leaves, the older leaves, eh, you know, older tree leaves, ah, a lot of fiber, not much other mm-hmm. stuff besides, oh, you're really hungry, okay. You know, there's a couple of maples that you don't want to eat, but probably, I'm going to guess they would taste bad. Mm-hmm. And even down to the inner bark, which is generally edible, but actually better used for baskets. makes a really superior basket. Mm. And then the long list of things made out of maple. Maple wood gets smoother and nicer as it ages and is worn. So, right? What do we make cutting blocks of? Maple. Sure. Right. What do we make rolling pins of? Maple. Spools. Maple. Bobbins. Maple. Any place where you want something that's not going to drag or catch and that you can smooth with sandpaper and that it will stay smooth and get even smoother. Maple. Wow, I love that. I did not realize. I love my rolling pin. It's my grandmother's. And, oh, you're right, it's so smooth. There's not a bit of catch or, no, like, I'm going to get a splinter or there will be a splinter in the pie. No, it is so smooth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So healthylife.net. And I think some of the back shows are archived. Um, but they're each a unique individual show, so you don't have to have heard any of the others to know, to enjoy um, April's show, which will be coming up soon. Yay! 
Yes, it is. Almost almost the end of March, my goodness. Mm. Going fast. (laughs) That means, what, six weeks to the Comfrey Conference. Yep, I did the math this week, too. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) May 9th, if you're listening and you haven't already registered, go right on over to wisewomenschool.com and register for free for the Comfrey Conference. You don't have to show up because once you register, you have lifetime access. You can go anytime you want to. The reason to show up, if you want to show up, is that each of our featured presenters is going to do a live Zoom question and answer session, but only that once during that week, May 9th through 15th. We'll record the sessions, and they'll be part of what you can listen into right through your lifetime access, but you won't have the ability to ask them anything except during that one week. And then in other exciting news, I just got word that the T-shirts are ready. Oh, fabulous. Oh, I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) So sometime later this week, I'll go and pick up the tie-dyed T-shirts with the image of the comfrey goddess on them. Oh, yeah. When you said tie-dyed, wow. So thrilled. Yes, it's like a a green kind of starburst coming out around the comfrey goddess. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, 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 wow. (laughs) Uh, Now, what else? Bridget. Bridget Torty. Yes, I know where I put it. This was kind of, usually I have my uh, idea of who's going to be here right in front of me. Uh, But this was uh, a switch because who was going to be here found out this morning she couldn't be here. So um, Bridget said she would be here. She is a wise woman herbalist. She's been working with plants both as a student and a teacher, a gardener, and a forager, a medicine maker, and a health consultant. And she runs the Solidanku School of Herbalism, and we're going to talk herbs. Now, let's see. I think I've told you that I've been reading from books about comfrey. I've been reading out loud, right? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. And that I'm reading over a pretty wide range of dates at this point from pretty present back into the 70s. And I'm about to start reading from Nancy Shirley's book, which goes back into the 1500s. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, I thought this was very interesting, and this is from a book published in 1996 called Nature's Cures by Michael Kessman. Many people and their doctors who want to try herbs approach them with caution. If herbs have medicinal value, then how can they be safe to use? Herbal experts say that medical journals through the years have tended to over-report health hazards and under-report 
health benefits from herbs. Journals have created the impression that using medicinal herbs is a fairly risky thing to do. Statistics compiled by the American Association of Poison Control Centers tell a different story. During two recent and typical years, pharmaceuticals caused 974 deaths and 6,978 major non-fatal poisonings. Now, the only thing that I have to say about those figures is, well, yes, this book was written 20 years ago, and those figures are amazingly higher right now. Because he's making a contrast, we can go ahead, because the figures for what he's contrasting, of course, might be higher as well. But we'll see that the contrast will hold. So we're talking about a 1,000 deaths and 7,000 major non-fatal poisonings from drugs in a given year. During any year, plants, we're talking all plants here. We're not talking like plants for sale. We're talking plants cause two deaths and 53 mm-hmm. major poisonings. Herbal medicines wow. themselves caused virtually no problems. The most hazardous plants were not herbal medicines, but ornamental plants that had been planted. Jade tree, holly, chaflera, philodendron, diffenbachia. The typical victim was a child under the age of five who ingested the plant by accident. Wow. Wow, what a great book. What a great that is statistics. That is really, really interesting. Thank you, Michael Castleman, for putting it very clearly that I'm not out of my mind when I say it's hard to do it wrong. Mm-hmm. I've tasted really poisonous plants, and nobody, nobody would ever take a second taste of them. Mm. And I was unhappy I had even taken the first taste, right? Remember remember when I touched the foxglove leaf with my hand and then put my fingers to my lips, and my lips started to burn and swell up? I didn't even have to put mm. it in my mouth to know that it was poisonous. Yeah. And I think about how important it has been to me all along that I have trusted the average person to be smart enough to tell the difference between a plant which is going to harm them and a plant which is going to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. my singing lesson today, Gordon kept telling me to be simple, be simpler, be simple. And I had, I just started laughing. I said, you know, one of the reasons we can have the Comfrey Conference is because I've insisted on simples. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Right? So many of the books that I'm reading from mix comfrey with other things. 
including, including borage, which has more pyrolyzid ion alkaloids usually than comfrey does. But we can actually come and speak to each other and to anyone who wants to listen about our experience with comfrey without an admixture of other herbs except maybe a tiny little bit of bergamot for flavor. Um, and so that when I'm talking about comfrey, I actually know I'm talking about comfrey. Wow. That's so true. I love that. I, oh, it got woven into your singing lesson. And that's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so do we have any uh, questions tonight? Uh, we do have questions. We've got five callers that have lined up in the queue, and I'll let everyone listening know if you've got a question this evening. Press 1 on your telephone keypad, and you will get lined up to speak with Susan. All right. The first call is dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Oh, I was hoping it was you. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, uh, the news is, uh, as per your advice, I connected with hospice services, and uh, a nurse showed up for about two hours asking me questions, and at the end she told me I qualify to be taken care of by them, and I have to let go of all my doctors, others, um, and um, after she left, my blood pressure was 170. And I was thinking, yes, I do prefer the hospital to come to me instead of the me going to the hospital. And now I am reassured that if I feel unwell, uh, somebody will show up and by telephone connection with a uh, qualified doctor, they'll know what to do, and apparently uh, they do what the doctors that I'm leaving do. They send me here a container full of medication. (laughs) You know, I I didn't even open it. Um, it, That's what they do. And I also realized that I'm very happy that I can call somebody if I feel I'm getting a heart attack. But meanwhile, I don't want to die. I want to live. Yes. (laughs) What happened is uh, during the last month, I guess, I took more Hawthorne. And I noticed one night when I took, like, the third portion late, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was very dizzy. And since I'm not taking anything else and I'm not eating anything bad, um, I started thinking that I have to question the tincture as a medication that I'm taking for three or four years. I don't remember now. And I decided for a week not to take it and see what happens. Of course, the mother wart... um, uh, that's where I want to ask you, should I stop that too, or how shall I find out 
if it does have, because I am extra, extra, extra sensitive to anything, including a teacup. And now I'm drinking mostly the netto infusion because it's allergy season and it really helps me. I'm so uh, glad for that. Yes, I am. I am. I the tincture, the tincture of hawthorn that you were taking was that hawthorn berry. Um, they say it's written on it. Uh, it's a combination. Uh, it's Herba Farm, and it's written Hawthorne Blend System Restoration, Cardio and Circulation. Mm-hmm. And then on the back, does it actually say what's in the blend? Well, I am looking here. Um, Hawthorne flowering herb and berry. I'm going to suspect that your reaction is to the flowering herb. Oh. The flowering herb is quite astringent. Uh-huh. And it does not have actually a very pleasant smell or really pleasant taste, I generally use the berry. There is a tincture berry that I can... Just hawthorn berry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have been taking at least a dropper full of hawthorn berry tincture daily for, oh, I don't know, maybe... 10 or 15 years. How many years have you been taking Hawthorne tincture? Uh, I think uh, ever since uh, I got on the phone with you. I, about, uh, well, I'm asking Michael, and he say, he's saying you've been taking it easily for 15 years, maybe probably a little more. So it is quite safe for long-term use. It's as safe as applesauce, to which uh-huh. it is very closely related, the berry. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that applesauce is not made from apple leaves and blossoms, right? This is why I like the fruit of the hawthorn and not the leaves and the blossoms. So, so what's, well, you said it has, well... The leaves and blossoms are very astringent. And that could possibly um, affect you in ways that make you feel uncomfortable. I don't think the tincture of just the berry would. All right. I I, I I paid a lot of money for this. I can't just throw them down the drain. But I will order... Not, suggest, not suggesting that you do, but uh-huh. if you also got a tincture of hawthorn yeah. berry, uh-huh. and then you take, you could mix them together, you know? I can make what? You could mix the two tinctures together so that there's more berry in each dose. Yes, yeah, that's a good idea. And usually I can ask for a Hawthorne... Berry tincture. Berry tincture, not Hawthorne blend. Right. All right, well, we'll definitely try that. Um, I I have to... Similarly with motherwort. Motherwort is generally considered safe to take, especially in situations where it's being used as cardiac support and blood vessel support. I have known people to take it daily for decades. 
So I can keep taking it, but you told me last time something that if it's fresh, it has a different taste. It doesn't bother me that it is bitter. I, I don't have a problem with bittersweet. I love eggplants. I don't squeeze the bitterness out of them before. I hear you. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that this this is part of your body, the universe, whatever we want to call it, encouraging you to, even if you need some help, make some tinctures. Oh, no. I think so. Because, you see, you've come to the end of the benefit that you can get from stuff made by other people. And that's really what you're saying. Not that the herb isn't working anymore, but the the herb that's been made by somebody else is just not doing what the herb that's made by you could be doing. How do you make hawthorn berry tincture? You get dried hawthorn berries, uh-huh. and you can order them online, and you fill any size jar a third full of dried hawthorn berries. Uh-huh. And you buy 100 proof vodka, and you pour that vodka to the top of the container so that it's completely full of vodka. So your container is a third full of dried berries and three-thirds full of vodka. And you put a lid on it, and you label it, and you shake it up. That's that's all you have to do. Every day I shake it for how long? (laughs) It's ready in six weeks, but you need to shake it at least every other day for the first week because the dried berries are going to absorb liquid and expand, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I and if you don't shake it, they're going to, like, have a solid little dry core. They have to get drunk. They have to get drunk. You got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we put them in vodka. So how easy is that to do and to have the wonderful feeling of the dried haws, right? Haw thorn, the haws and the thorns. This is a plant with very big thorns. They can practically be used as needles or something. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm definitely and going these beautiful, to try that. Beautiful haws. And there's so many different varieties. Some of the haws are bigger than crab apples, and some of them are really small, like our smallest rose hips. Different colors, red and orange and black. Mm. Mostly, mostly what you get is the, the ones that actually kind of look a little like rose hips. They're about that size, kind of a dark red color. And then I, I just know that you're going to, well, I was going to say trip over motherwort, but I don't want you to trip. You are going to stumble onto motherwort. Well, she, will make, she will make herself known to you because she has a bright green face. Here early in the spring, when we were most thankful for the bright green faces. And we were just talking about maple, and the spring leaves of motherwort look like fuzzy maple leaves. Small. I don't know where they are. I'm not used to look at herbs. I go out and I'm. I know where you live, and I know that motherwort grows around there. Uh, I can't buy the motherwort. Whatever and make want you to stumble upon it. The universe wants you to stumble upon it. 
I'm not saying, oh, I want you to do this to satisfy my ego. I'm saying, I, I want for you the pleasure and the, the boom of stumbling on motherwort and finding what happens as you make your own remedy. How do I find it? I don't even know how it looks. Well, I will say again. The springtime leaves look like small but fuzzy maple leaves. Maple. And maple is pollinate. Like, like red? No, not in color, in shape. A maple leaf is palmate. What does pal what does palmate mean? Like a hand with five points. Think of the maple leaf on the Canadian flag. Yeah. Right? Five points, like a hand. Mm-hmm. So that's what the motherwort leaves look like right now. And now all you have to do is just be on uh, out for it. And it's red? No, it's, it's not, not red. red. No, no, it's I green. didn't say anything about red. It's green. Maple leaves are mostly green. Oh. All right, well. So we'll be on the lookout for it. Yeah, and I have to look at I'll tell you what I have discovered about drawing things that I want to me. And that is that the universe is listening in. Okay. But it ha- but it's a lot of other children. So it's important that I ask more than once. My the wonderful woman who comes and gives me regular massage um keeps saying you need lymphatic massage, you need lymphatic massage and I knew I know there aren't any any people in this area. I said to her, well, who? She says, well, there isn't anybody in this area. And I asked somebody else, they said, oh, there isn't anybody. So I said, okay. I'm not just going to hear there is any. I'm just going to say to everybody, hmm, I'm looking for some lymphatic massage. Not even that I'm looking for a person, just I'm looking for lymphatic massage. Just kind of this thing. And sure enough, somebody that I regularly go to said, you know, I heard you say that so many times that I just went to somebody that I know who does it, and I asked her if she could, like, give me enough instruction to do something for you, and she said, absolutely, and here's what I'm doing, and this is what I can teach you. So you do them for yourself? So keep asking for motherwort, moral of the story. Just keep saying, do you know motherwort? Have you seen any motherwort? And in your mind, keep saying, yo, motherwort, I'm stumbling upon you. You'd be surprised at how much the plants respond to our desires. Oh, wow. Well, I need I need a, a, a third of a container of motherwort and then the vodka. Right? No, with a fresh plant, you must fill the container full. I need a full container of motherwort. Oh, my God. And you must wait until it's flowering. So it's not now. That's what I'm, what I'm saying. See, this is very, very simple what I'm saying here. Is you can make the Hawthorne berry tincture in a snap, get some help, not without help. Anyway, it's good. The motherwort, your only goal right now is just to find some motherwort. Let it be known that you want to meet motherwort. And let's see what happens. I have uh, I have a book called The Hidden Life of Trees. That is absolutely extraordinary. Yes. I heard you talking about trees. 
Yes. They're all listening to us. Tell Mother Wart you want to meet her. And they do so much community work between each other in the forest. I mean, I mean the information here is just mind-blowing. It's a New yes. York Times bestseller. What they All feel, right. how they communicate, discovering from a secret world. Wow. Mm. And they communicate a lot through the mycorrhizal interlaced in the soil. Yes, yes. Mycelium yeah. running. Yeah, yeah, and f- fungi and uh, all kinds of. I, I, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I am. They, inf- they also communicate with each other through sense. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and even uh, uh, sound. Uh, I read if an insect comes and attacks one tree, the tree sends information to the surrounding to get protected against the... I, I mean, it, it's just extraordinary. I knew... I loved trees all my life. I had a Kabbalah teacher who did all her meditation, said, sit under the tree and feel the love and the support of the tree in your spine. And I was doing that in Central Park every time after I was running around. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. 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 What a a pleasant, beneficial memory. Thank you for offering us all that. Mm, delicious. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Uh, so, I thank you for reaching out to hospice and hospice is for living. Yeah. Well, yes, but uh, it is for living. And and, and she said uh, there are people who who left because they they got better. But when she brought me, when she sent the, that bag of, of medication, I said, I'm not getting better from this bag. I know that I'm not even opening it. So maybe from good intentions, and I don't yes. know. We'll see. But thank you. It was it was really something that comforted me. I am so glad, and so glad that we have such a strong and healthy hospice system in our area. Yes. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings, Susan. Green spring. <laughs> All right. Blessed be. That was fun. Um, I just have to say, I have that book sitting right here beside me. A, a friend loaned me that book, and she also said it was absolutely remarkable. And it is really fascinating. And it, even the relationships with the animals and how. In Yellowstone, once the wolves were gone, it changed the dynamic for the trees. And when the elk took over, it took out a lot of the trees. So now that the wolves are coming back, it's changing the landscape again for the trees. So it's a really fascinating book. So many books out there, well, several now, about what goes on beyond what we see on the surface with all the plants and the trees and the mushrooms. And the animals. And the animals. It's I, you know, and this is what regenerative farming 
is saying to us all mm-hmm. is that hey, vegans cannot regenerate this. The compost. We need the animals. We need the animals as part of the mix. The trees need the animals. The plants need the The animals are not bad. Mm -mm, They're a part of it, just like us. We're all a part of it. Very important part of it. All right, more callers. Uh, More callers. We have four callers with their hands raised. And if you have a call or a question for tonight, call Make sure you press 1 on your telephone keypad. The next call is coming from the 831 area code. From the 831, you are live with Susan. Hello, Lady Iona. Hi. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. I just um, had a really wonderful dream the other night. I've been smoking mugwort. Uh, cronewort, sorry. The crone. Yeah, I just woke up and was reflecting on where I now am as a father of two children, and we built our home. And and I just want to honor you and thank you for supporting women. I met a powerful woman, and I love her very much. And when I bowed before her as my goddess, my life changed for the better. So, yeah, I just wanted to um, say about how wonderful it is to be in a a female-led relationship and how, um, you know, so many of us men think we're only in a Y chromosome. And when I knelt before her, I found my tender side. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to um, honor you and thank you for supporting women. And I'm looking forward to more female leadership around in the world. <laughs> you are a delight. Thank you so much. And, you know, what I was taught was that the person who has the biggest place is the person who has the ability to serve. So thank you for finding that, and thank you for being an example of that. Thanks yeah. for your call. Great blessings. Oh, did you have a question, Ms. Hayes? Um, yeah, a small one. I, we yes, have our little ahead. baby. That I didn't mean to cut you off. That's fine, no. Um, yeah, and I'm wondering if you have any insight about why babies aren't supposed to have honey before uh, a year? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's very clear. Honey, especially raw honey, can contain botulinus spores. Uh-huh. And yes, I've heard of that. the stomach acid of an adult easily kills them. But babies don't have enough stomach acid to do that. And so they can actually get botulism from honey. Oh, okay. Granted, Wonderful. it's kind of rare. <laughs> but it's, Sorry? you know, and you're... Probably wouldn't you kid if they inadvertently got some honey. It's not like poison, but it's yeah. I mean, Juliet DeBerkeley Levy and I really went around and around on this because when I published, republished her book, Nature's Children, I insisted that every place in the book that she said 
put some honey in this tea and feed it to your baby, that I put a warning not to do this if your child is under one year old. And, of course, it would probably be a more reasonable warning if we gave a weight uh, rather than an age because children can be different sizes, especially by the age of one. And she said, well, just put the warning in the front of the book. I'm like, no. No, you cannot just put it in the front of the book and hope that people will see it. You actually have to put it every time you mention honey. Mm. I'm sorry to say that it was very upsetting to her. I I, I feel it because um, when we weaned my first child, um, I swished him away to live with my mom for a week. And what was the grace that I was able to give and a sweetness was honey in tea. And mint tea with honey is what I feel was that sacred brew, that connection that I had with him to help him kind of step away from what mom was offering. So it's just, it's, it's hard. And also too, my, my country, I've gotten really accustomed to, um, putting a little bit of honey well about a spoonful of honey per quart and every time I, I like oh I want to give honey to, uh, comfrey to the baby I'm like oh wait no no not yet and the, the baby is how old now uh six months mm-hmm. she's a big she's a very healthy uh thick baby. Say, and how, how much does baby weigh I couldn't tell you she's on my my tummy right now walking around <laughs> to you, but yeah she's a little thicker than our, our uh, previous baby was right. so I've been reading all of these books about comfrey, and it's really quite the staggering um, array of voices from don't you dare ever, ever, you know, any, anybody of any age take any comfrey or you will have horrible things happen to you, to people insisting that you powder comfrey root and take multiple capsules throughout the day. And, of course, everybody in between. So I will say that I feel very at ease about comfrey. I have felt very at ease about comfrey from my first experiences through to the present day. And I have yet to see um, that comfrey has caused any direct or indirect harm to anybody. I hope you can come to the Comfrey Conference and listen to Astrid Grove talk about um, using Comfrey with pregnant women and with nursing moms and with babies. And I very much look forward to it. I um, I actually cut my ankle with a chainsaw last summer. Down to the bone. And, uh, yeah, I... um, yeah, Comfrey was a very strong ally for me. I did um, visualizations um, kind of based on the work of Maria Gimbutas, her yes. archaeological. Yeah, I found her books, and it really, they're wonderful. Oh, my goodness. I, like I helped, it helped me find my spiritual path, you know, oh. to recognize ancestors come from peace, and the foundations of civilization were from women leading um, Anyway, sorry, back to my, yeah, so um, one of the things that she said was a common motif were nets. So like a net kind of of life, you know, being knit and woven by the goddess. So one of the visualizations I did was the comfrey knitting and weaving my my, um, 
like a web of my flesh back together. And I'm oh, walking around. Beautiful. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Well, I thank you for your time, Lady Iona. I've I've heard someone say didn't call it the Stone Age, but the Net Age. Ah. <laughs> because huh. after all, what the Stone Age? Come on, chimpanzees use stones. And not just any stone. They actually have special stones that they keep and pass on that are inheritable. Right? But there's no monkey anywhere that makes nets. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Grandma Spider, thank you. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Green blessings. Good night. All right, and there are four callers that have raised their hands with a question. The next caller that has pressed one is dialed in from the 919 area code. From the 919, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. What's Hi. up? Well, um, so for I'm kind of at a desperate place at this point because for the last, like, five to six months, I've been dealing with some kind of like slight itching smell and burning down there. Uh-huh. And I have your book down there. Okay. <laughs> and and um, I've done some of the things that are in your book. And I guess I just wanted to kind of let you know some of the things that I have been doing and then what I'm doing now and then maybe what you might think I could I could add in to help support myself. Um, Good plan. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I did nothing for about, you know, I gave it like two or three weeks and I let my period come and hope that maybe that would reset things. Uh Um, And then I ended up going to a gynecologist just to get it looked at and see maybe what would come through, through like with a swab. And um, they confirmed that I had BV. Bacterial vaginosis. 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 Um, and so then I, I, I was eating a quart of yogurt a week. Um, I added in some golden seal, um, but I didn't do that for too long. I didn't do it for more than two weeks because I know that's pretty strong. Um, and then I was doing white oak bark sits baths. Um, I cut out sugar as much as I could. I did some honey and some maple here and there. Um, um, I wasn't taking any baths, wearing cotton underwear or no underwear. Um, I have a pretty consistent, like, you know, I, I orgasm at least seven times a week as per yeah, you. year recommendation yeah to keep the energy flowing yeah yeah and um i eat so much sauerkraut it's ridiculous um (laughs) and uh so i was doing all of those things probably for a couple of months two or three months with no relief really like just temporarily maybe for a couple days it would feel better but then it would be back So I got desperate, and um, I ended up taking the antibiotic, um, and 
of course, you know, nothing happened with that. I felt very like, um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm, uh, unfortunately I took that. I, I regret that, but, um, it didn't really help me at all. It didn't go away. Um, I got about like a month though. It was like a month or two where my vagina felt normal again. And yes. then it all came. Yeah. And then it all, it all came, came roaring back. back. Now, one yes. of the things you haven't mentioned is that there's, any possibility that somebody else has something that they keep passing back to you? Hmm. I mean, I am having sex with one person this whole time, one partner. Um, that is what usually going on in this kind of situation. You think? Especially if you're able to clear it with the antibiotics and then it comes back. Uh-huh. That's a really strong indication that somebody you're exchanging bodily fluids with is reinfecting you. Hmm. Okay. The other less likely thing is that you could have a sensitivity to this other person's bodily fluids, which changes the pH of your vagina so strongly that the bacterial vaginosis starts really climbing. Hmm. Hmm. And one way to test the latter thing out is see if you can enjoy yourself without exchanging any bodily fluids for at least, uh -huh. you know, a little bit of time and see if that helps. Uh-huh. Especially okay. if you do that concurrent with, of all the things you said, the one that my ears perked up the most with, that I have heard the most women say, this did it, was white oak bark. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that definitely would give me relief for like a day or two. Yeah. So I would see if the approach of protecting yourself from any other fluids and uh -huh. doing some white oak bark work could bring you to a more stable place. And I'm also taking Vitex tincture right now. All right. Should, um, be, should be okay. I don't see that should make a problem. Okay. And I'm drinking raspberry leaf infusions. Um, how do you feel about yoni steaming? I don't have a very strong opinion about it one way or the other. Okay. I will tell you that early on... I did a lot of steams, partly because the books were just full of, you know, put this herb in boiling water and then, you know, put your face over it and throw a towel over it for everything from mm -hmm. pneumonia to having a sparkling complexion and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And put steams in the sick room, you know, bring a pot of boiling water in there and, you know, get the steam in the air and I found it 
unsafe and somewhat unsanitary. Mm-hmm. It does seem counterintuitive to add warm steam to my vagina when it's having a bacterial growth. Correct. Yeah. Which is um, okay. not to say if someone enjoys it or finds benefit from it, that there would be anything wrong with that. Yeah. And then your thoughts on boric acid? Boric acid's fine. It's a little harsh, but it's fine. That's going to be my, like, last resort. If worse, if I really can't, if the white oak bark can't, you know, um, I think I'm going to leave that for the very last resort. You know what else you could try? It's messy yeah. as I'll get out, but it could sometimes be eerily effective, is activated charcoal. Oh. And you bite in capsules, and you insert a capsule as far up inside as you can get it. The mm. gelatin will melt, and you will become full of black goo, which will stain everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. But it will also smother any baddies in there. Okay. All right, I think we have a plan of action. I hope to hear back from you shortly. Okay. I appreciate you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for sharing. Great blessings. Thank you. All right, and there are three callers in the queue with their hands raised. The next dialed in is calling from the 603 area code. From the 603, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. It's Rose calling back to report. Hi, hey, honey. Rose. Tell us. Hi. Hi, honey. Um, oh, wonderful call again tonight, as always. I have two questions first about two previous callers. Um, the sure. first one, the first dear one that we've been follow, I've been following for years, mentioned the. I think she said the title was the Hidden Life of Trees. Did I get it correct? Correctly, and then, um, and then, um, your helper there. Oh gosh, I just had a. A mind block. Your helper Sarah Ellen said she has that book too. Someone loaned loaned it to her. What is the title again, please? Is it the Hidden Life of Trees? I believe it, it is. is. That right, Sarah Ellen? That is the title of the book, The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Waller Ben. Okay, I wanted to make sure I got that. That sounds fascinating. I haven't come across that one until tonight. So thank you for that, Sarah Ellen, too. And the second question, caller that um, had the ankle accident with the chainsaw, was the last name of the herbalist she mentioned, um, I couldn't hear it, my phone beeped. Um, was it, it wasn't an herbalist. The woman she was talking about, Maria Gimbutas, is an archaeologist. And her, oh. name is, her name is spelled M-A-R-J-A, Maria Gimbutas, G-I-M-B-U-T-A-S, and Maria basically said there was a goddess. Oh. And everybody said, oh, tee-hee-hee, what a girl you are. There was no goddess. What's wrong with you? We're not going to let you be a full professor. We're not going to let you publish. Oh, ho, ho. And Maria said, you're all wrong. 
Uh-huh. The women, her books are phenomenal, but they are dense. Okay. So it's usually easier to approach her through Joan Marler, M-A-R-L-E-R, Joan Marler. And I believe that there's a video out of Joan or a video out about Maria, which features Joan. Joan was her longtime companion and helper. Okay. And, yeah, you know. Well, I'd love to. I'd love Certainly, to you know, go to the library and look at Maria Gimbuta's books, but they're not the kind of thing that I would say, oh, you know, run to your bookstore and buy them. I own them, but then again, you know, I like tomes. And it's okay with me to buy a book that I'm never going to be able to read the whole thing. You said you like what? She wasn't an herbalist. What she was yes. talking about that she got from Maria was the net. The neck. N-E-T, net. Oh, the net, yes. The yes, net. You see, as what I was saying was, Stone Age, ho-hum, big deal stones, come on, our close yes. primate relatives use stones. It should be the net age when women learned to make nets the world changed. There is no no question but that it was women who made nets. And every Aboriginal culture that I have been allowed any entry into, it is the women who weave, the women who spin. Yes. I have mentioned the book Women's Work, the First 20,000 Years, which is about women's work. The First 20,000? Twenty thousand years. That's a book. That is the name of a book. Yes. Huh. huh. Thank you. Fascinating. And that man, that um, uh, caller was. Oh my gosh! What a blessing to hear his opinion. Wow, about women. Yes. That you don't hear that very often from a man. That was that was awesome. So I just wanted to comment and ask those two questions before Elizabeth, I ask them. Okay, Elizabeth Wayland Barber. Women's okay. Work: The First Twenty Thousand Years by Elizabeth Wayland Barber. Barber, I will find it. Thank you. Now, now may I ask my question? My, I mean, yes, my, my original question. I mean that I called for. Thank you. Okay, so, oh gosh, thank you so much for last week. Um, uh, and uh, about my sister, she is uh, coming along very, very slowly. Um, but what is bothering her the most is her memory. You know, she's got d- dementia now from uh, I don't know what caused it, but I have a really severe hunch. I have not been able to get a list of all the drugs that snowball because she was extremely healthy a, a, a professional woman her whole life traveled the world well published very very intelligent and all of a sudden uh you know she got one thing and she believed in drugs and uh you know it, they just snowballed you know what happens with the side effects and then the the ama doctors give you another drug to you know for that side effect and it just snowball snowball snowballs so now she uh has she was so smart, uh, sharp, always, 
Now she has beginning dementia from all these drugs, and I still don't have a list of the drugs she's on. But I'm starting to give her infusions now. I mean, uh, she is starting to sip the infusions now, so it's a good beginning, and she now has an appetite. Now, she is extremely bothered, and this is my main question for you. Can you help me help her in any way? Because, of course, she's at rehab and she can't talk to you. She doesn't have a phone there yet. Um, but she wants, wants, wants to know if there is anything she can do. It's extremely frustrating that she still has the incontinence that came after she got the sepsis uh, three different times. Um, you know, it started with a urinary tract infection that she got three separate times and almost died. So she still is incontinent both with the urine and the bowel movements, and it's extremely frustrating because she doesn't understand why her brain won't tell her she has to go. She doesn't know, you know, she until she wet, wets and poops. So, you know, um, I don't know what to suggest. I was hoping you might offer something. Uh, so I'll be quiet and listen to see if you have anything to offer her through me. Here's what I'm hearing. She has a broken connection. Yes. That's what I Between what is happening in the lower half of her body, especially. I would suspect that she might find it difficult to stand or to walk or to get up out of a chair, that the whole lower half of her body is not as responsive, in fact, as we would even call it non-responsive, to what's going on in her brain. You got it. And there's a variety of things, of course, that can be causative there. And I'll tell you what I did, and you all can decide what you want to do. When sure. they when they finally let me come home after the surgery, after 17 hours of surgery, 13 hours in an induced coma, and then two, hour, two weeks in the hospital in which they gave me deadly drugs, yes. when I came home... Of all the things that were going on, I said, okay, the most important thing for me right now is to stop taking all drugs. Yes. And to deal with whatever the side effects of that are and to, you know, get some really good herbal allies by my side here and to, you know, really... And they said, you're on opioids. You can't just... Don't... and I said, I'm not going to take them. They said, you can't do that. You're, you're on opioids. You have to keep taking them. And I thought, <laughs> and it wasn't actually that hard. And I did have a lot of painkilling herbs on hand. Thank you. And continued mm-hmm. to use them. Mm-hmm. And then I, for me, started to deal with specific things. There's a really horrible pain in this part of my body. What do I need to do? I am still doing that two years later. Mm -hmm. I'm now dealing with 
seems they're not as like tidal waves as the earlier ones. It requires a commitment to oneself. It requires a willingness to choose the work of being here over the ease of going. Yes. He wants to and, and we don't know if that's what she's choosing. And if so, then anything you do will support that. Visualizations, right? bringing her infusions, encouraging her to eat better food. You, yeah, you know all of the, you know yeah. all of the wonderful things that you can offer her that you can you know help her with. Yeah, I'm having trouble because at rehab they don't want you to bring her any food. They only want to feed her the food that they're you know that they serve there. And frankly, the food is much better than I've ever seen at any place like that. She is now eating again, but you know it's not what I was. Oh, I'm so her. happy to hear that. How wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a step it's a step better. <laughs> it's not what I would be giving her. I could bring her food, however. So, and they say she needs twenty four seven care, but but her husband will not let anybody in the house. So I guess she's going to have to go to a nursing home because she, presently she's at rehab and to get her strong enough to be moved. But uh, we'll see. I don't I don't take anything as gospel because I still believe that that uh, she wants to get better and she wants to go home. So I'm going to be in and out when I can, even though it's a three-hour drive, but I'm going to do it because I love her dearly and I'm committed to help her the best I can because she wants to be helped. She wants to try something different now. She wasn't ready before. All right. Hooray that she's ready now. Yes. Yeah. So specifically yeah. for that incontinent problem, uh, Oh, gosh. That's... You know, there's no simple solution here. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Right, yeah. where I said, this is what I did, you know. What yeah. is the most, is the incontinence, is that the most important of all of her problems right now? Well, that's the one that she identifies with. If it is, with. then. That's the one she identifies with. If it is, with. then, then she, what I did was I sought physical therapy. Yeah. Yep. I said, she's, she's I saying, need physical therapy. I am incontinent. I need physical therapy. Yeah. And I got physical therapy. And then when they said, you've had enough physical therapy, I said, no, I haven't. No, she's, and she's I, having, and I'm, having, you know, and I did it and did it and did it and kept saying, I need more physical therapy. That's why I need more physical therapy until they relented and gave me more physical therapy. You've heard me say that I asked yes. the surgeon, did you, did you cut any of my pelvic floor muscles? And they said, oh, goodness, no, we would never do that. We just cut all of the attachments. I literally came out of that surgery without a pelvic floor. Yeah. And have yeah. rebuilt it. But it is not... A matter of an herb or a day or a thought. Right, right. Like it's a long it's taken, time. It's taken me, oh, to date, almost two years of 
weekly physical therapy plus homeworks that I do at least once a day. And that homework that you do once a day? Are exercises given to me by, by my physical therapist. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. She's still a little bit weak, you know. She's she's trying so hard, but she's still, you know, she's very, very, you know, it, it's difficult. I have to get back there and uh, and help her again, you know, stretch with her. One of my exercises her. consists of laying on my stomach and lifting my foot an inch off the ground. That's a good one. You don't have to, it may be a good one for me, it may not be a good one for her. I'm not a physical therapist. I'm simply saying. No, 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 I, I understand. People somehow think that you can't do physical therapy unless you're strong. But physical therapists are really smart at figuring out how to help you move when you can't move. That's their training. Exactly. Well, right. In the same way that hospices for the living, physical therapists are you know, for you when you feel like you can't move. That's that's the time to say, I need physical therapy. Hey, look at me. I'm incontinent. I need some physical therapy. Or this is just going to you know, continue on because my body will get used to it. I agree with her. Okay. Now, because she has the dementia, you know, she's having a, more trouble, of course, that than you could speak for yourself and communicate well. She's having trouble, you know, communicating well. But I did, you know, she is saying that the, you know, that's, is what is frustrating her the most. Um, but um, um, I, I am very aware and understand what you're saying. I just have to communicate it through to her, you know, because she gets, uh, she doesn't understand this completely, uh, you know, like you and I understand it. Um, Julian understands that. Or perhaps that. you could even bring it up with uh, one of the uh, people at the center where she is. Yeah, I'm working on that because they still don't have that name, my name, as a person that I, the, the, the nurse in charge of her can talk to. So uh, I, I mentioned that to the, to the health proxy, so she's going to make sure that the nurse has my name so that I can talk to her directly because she's not getting the physical therapy. She's not getting the movement, and, you know, so... Um, just to move in bed, to lift your arms, they're not even doing that for her, is the report I'm getting from her healthcare proxy. So, um, you know, um, that's why I want to be there so I can do that with her like I used to do when, um, you know, when I, was, when I uh, was able to be with her and to even do it on the phone with her, but she doesn't have a phone yet in this room. So, but yes, I do understand the slight movement, any movement, uh, is is a beginning. Thank you so much for that reminder. And yes. um yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh yeah. What a wonderful uh, sister you are, Rose. Well well honey, you know you know what love is all about. You know, you give so much to all of us and um I just so appreciate this sisterly connection that we all have with you. It is just um such a beautiful thing you're doing. And, uh, no, I love her dearly and want to do the best that I can with her. So, yeah, um, 
I guess I guess that's I'm still frustrated because I, I you know once I get the list of medications that she's on I will understand better because I know she's still on a lot of drugs and uh, I have been there myself in the past and I finally was able to stand up for myself but I didn't have dementia I wasn't you know I was in really bad shape like she was with with weakness and you know, down to 80, 80 pounds and all that, but um, I didn't have dementia, so I eventually was able to overcome it and get strong enough and come into myself and become the very beginning of becoming a wise woman was realizing that I can trust my inner self because that's something I didn't have, you know. So, um, so, so, um, I, I'm, oh, I'm going to be that's off and so running moving. Again. Thank you. Wow. Well, you're the one who made me a wise woman. I said I always want to be a wise woman, but I never, I never felt confident because I always had to ask other people their opinions, and I didn't trust myself because of my, uh, you know, being a, being a, have being abused in my, have having been abused in my background. But that's behind me now because I, I, I didn't want to stay there. But, you know, my. I was just had those drugs pushed upon me and pushed upon me without support. And I finally said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. My body doesn't want this. But it took me years to be strong enough to be able to have my own voice and have my own opinion, you know. And and you helped me get strong in myself, and um, you did. I want you to know that. Thank you, Rose. Oh, my pleasure. You should. You need to know. So, so much. I will. I will. Oh, I just it's, appreciate it's you. It's one of the biggest gifts of my life to hear from you, and just so many women who have been able yeah. to just exactly as you say, just you know, take this kind of nebulous idea that they had that they might somehow be able to trust themselves and stand up for themselves and do it and not do it in a way that like tears anybody else down. Oh, of course. Yeah. You see, that's a lot, that's a lot of what's being put out right now in our common culture is that to be powerful, you have to tear someone else down. Oh, Oh, you know, so, you know, it's still like it, it, woman's power is power with, not power right. over. Right. And that, that's the net, isn't it? Yes. The net is strong because all the pieces hold together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All the pieces make a, held together make a beautiful quilt. <laughs> Don't they, though? <laughs> <laughs> and like you say, you know, weaving. <laughs> And for me, it's sewing a quilt because I used to do that. I, I never I never have woven, but I love the way you put it too. So thank you, thank you for your thank help. You, I'll keep you post. I'll keep you posted on thank on you, how Rose. I'm able. But thank you so much. All right. Green blessings. Happy, Good night. Green blessings. Happy spring. Yeah. Two callers before we join by our guests. The next caller is dialed in from the nine. 17 area code and the 917 you are live with Susan. Hi Susan. Hi. Um my name is Paige and 
My question is a little more, I guess, emotional rather than physical, though I'm aware that both are uh, interdependent, but um, is that okay? Absolutely. Okay, awesome. So uh, just a little background, I was uh, sexually abused and assaulted when I was a teenager, um, and I experienced a string of unhealthy sexual relationships thereafter, um, uh, I guess, in response to that. Um, and now I'd like, I'd like, I... I'd like to... I'd like to stop just for one second and see if we could find a way or a, a language um, that isn't so victim-oriented. Okay, yes. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I have real standards about the use of the word abuse. And I find that a lot of people... Um, Use it to mean something that something happened to me that I didn't like. So you do not have to be graphic at all, but I'm just asking if it's at all possible to say to me what happened without saying that you were the victim of sexual abuse. Um. I was raped. <laughs> you were raped. Mm-hmm. Okay. By a stranger. Uh, no. By a peer. Um. Yes, by a peer. So you were not raped by a family member or someone significantly older than you? No. Do you understand why I'm asking these things? Vaguely. Abuse has to do with power. Mm-hmm. A person who is older than you has power over you in some mm-hmm. way, but not much. Mm-hmm. A person who is your peer has less power over you. You are at least in terms of age and perhaps other things equivalent. Mm-hmm. Was violence, force, or weapons involved? No. Did this happen repeatedly? No. Do you already feel a little differently about what happened? Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, we are talking about a situation, a sexual situation that you were in with a peer, and you got in 
involved in things that you really wished you hadn't gotten involved with and it's not abuse. Mm-hmm. It's just not abuse. If you're telling me father raped you every week for three years, that's abuse. Yes, yeah, I definitely misspoke on the abuse um, word, and for that I apologize. No, 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 it's not for me. It's for you, because I don't want you to see yourself as someone who's abused. Yeah. Because you're going to put that out into the world if you're walking around as I'm a victim of sexual abuse. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not trying to soft-pedal what might have happened, but from the questions I asked you, it does not sound to me like you were forced at knife point. Yes. Um, yes, you were encouraged, coerced, in in ways subtle and perhaps not so subtle things happened that you at least right now didn't want to happen well I was unconscious and how did you become unconscious Uh, alcohol and how did you manage to become unconscious from alcohol by drinking it to repeat the things you've already told yourself about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that we now very, very clearly see that you were not a victim at all. Uh-huh. And... real power is right there in front of you. What power is it? over. What, I'm sorry? Power over. No like, power over. Me? Have you not been listening tonight? No power over. Power over. No, not the way we, not the way women do it. Power with. This mm-hmm. is the power with yourself. You're mm-hmm. You're a woman of power is standing there in front of you. What does she have to say? I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess now the, the reason why I'm calling is because to experience sex and sexual relationships and healthy sexual relationships. Um, And in order to do that, you must be this woman of power. mm -hmm. She's standing right there. 
What is she mm. saying to you? What does she look like? What is she conveying? What is she communicating? What does she want you to know to do? Um, I think I'm going to have to think about that in private. I hear you. I think that's a good choice, but I don't think thinking is what is is the verb that we want right here. <laughs> yeah. Because you already have your answer. And this is this is who is going to have sexual relationships, not you. This woman of power is going to have sexual relationships. Because she is never going to put herself into any situation where she is unconscious. Mm-hmm. Will she? Yeah. No. You will, but she won't. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you can't have sexual relationships because you can't trust yourself. You might be saying because yeah. you can't trust others, but it's really because you can't trust yourself, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I feel like I can't I trust myself. I can't trust yeah. yourself. You're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this woman of power is the one who's going to have the sexual relationships. And she is you, isn't she? Yeah. And you're going to let her be in charge, and you're only going to do what she tells you to do when it comes to sexual relationships. Okay. If you want her to have a name, if you want her to be a goddess, that's fine. But she can just mm-hmm. be your woman of power. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because Thank she you. is a lusty broad, and she's going to have a good time. <laughs> she wants to have a good time. <laughs> she sure does. So let her go along for that ride, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so thank you so much. You're welcome. Great blessings. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Um, Bridget is with us, um, and we are about thirty minutes left in the show. There's also one caller. There is also one caller. Well, you know. You would think I would say, oh, I'll talk to the caller or I'll talk to Bridget. But, in fact, I want to, just on the heels of that call that we just had, I want to read from a book I just got called Pussypedia, a comprehensive guide to our grandmothers, mothers, and sisters. And <clears throat> this book starts... With, now, where is that? Do, 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 A new definition of pussy. We propose an inclusive use of the word that means some combination of vagina, vulva, clitoris, uterus, urethra, bladder, rectum, anus, and some testes. Mm. How's that? (laughs) 
<laughs> I said, I just got my money's worth from the book. It's got fun illustrations, too. So, um, really funny. All right. Uh, Ms. Doherty is an herbalist honoring the wise woman tradition for more than two decades. Midget has worked with plants in a variety of ways as a student, a teacher, a gardener, and a forager, a medicine maker, and a health consultant. She has had many herbal mentors, including Susan Weed, Rosemary Gladstar, Katja Swift, and K.P. Kalsa. She offers information and inspiration to the home herbalist through herbal workshops, herbal walks, and the Healthy Herb Podcast. Bridget founded the Solidago School of Herbalism in 2018. She offers an online course called Nourish Yourself, teaching how to infuse common herbs in simple ways into your daily life. Bridget inspires people to be more self-reliant in their health and healing. She teaches them how they can bring herbal medicine into their lives by relating to plants in their bodies, kitchens, gardens, and the wild. Thanks for coming on the show tonight, Bridget. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be speaking with you, as always. Oh, gosh. We've known each other for a little while now. We have. I think I started mentoring with you um, over seven or eight years ago, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, you were just starting the Solnidago School then, I think. Yeah, well, even before that, I mean, you you inspired me. I was, you know, trying to decide what career path I wanted to take in herbalism, um, and you inspired me to go the route of teaching versus um, product making or what I really wanted to do was farm and garden. And so, you know, so you said just start teaching some workshops locally, do some herb walks, and it really just snowballed from there. <laughs> the herb walks are such fun, aren't they? They are. It's such a great way to, you know, be with the plants, and it's a great introduction, I feel like. I mean, I, I live in a tourist destination, so... A lot of people will come here on their vacations and are just looking for something to do, and they're like, oh, let's go on an herb walk. And then I really feel like a lot of doors have opened for people just being like, oh, wow, oh, I recognize that plant. Or, you know, a mother will email me the next day and be like, oh, my child was, you know, we were on your herb walk, and they got stung by a bee that afternoon, and they took the plantain, and they chewed it up and put it on, and it disappeared the sting disappeared and wow you know and I just so that's wow, very right? rewarding yeah I think you know when I hear that I think that child won't grow up and have to struggle so hard to find their power in their health Mm-hmm. yeah like 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 they already have it without even noticing that they have it, which is, I think, what you're hoping to help people figure out is how do we take herbs out of the medicine cabinet and put them in the soup pot? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my passion really is, you know, I want to see herbal medicine right back in the home. Like I want to see it be as common as 
cooking a healthy meal. I, I want it to be synonymous with that. And, you know, people think about buying produce or growing produce and eating good food and at the same time maybe, you know, making a plantain sauce and making their own echinacea tincture and having their home apothecary stocked just as they would have their food cabinet stocked with simple remedies that can really take you really far. And I think that that is really empowering for people and in so many ways, in more than just health. It's just, you know, a sense of real independence comes with that and a connection with their environment as well and their body. Yes, yes. Instead of defending the pharmacy, they defend the farm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Now, mm-hmm. on beyond being a gardener and a herbalist and leading people on walks, you started to really um, put your voice out there in several ways, most notably with a podcast. Is that true? I did, yes, um, a little over a year you ago. Talk, I you talk to us about the, about that. That I would think that 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 like. Um, made your heart beat fast. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, and it it still does. I'm finding my voice um, in herbalism has been a path uh, for sure, and then the ability to put it out there um, with interesting. You know, it's. I don't know how to say this exactly, but there was a lot of fear for sure in like putting myself out there, fear of judgment, fear of people not agreeing with me or fear of possibly offending people um, and fear of not being liked, you know, and I just felt I had an opportunity with the podcast. I actually had a podcast network reach out to me and said, do you want to do a podcast? I'd kind of in the back of my head, I love podcasts. I listen to them all day at work because I do a lot of hands-on work. And I was like, oh, that would always be fun or would be a thing that I would be interested in doing. And then when this network reached out to me and said, oh, well, we'll help you launch a podcast. And I said, oh, yes, this is my golden opportunity. So I just started and it's been great. It's actually been a really great experience. And I feel like... I have found my voice more and more and as the podcast goes and the fear has dropped away and I've been able to come into myself more and just feel like, well, I can say what I want to say, say what I would want to hear from podcasts about herbalism, you know, really look to inspire and inform the home herbalist and just finding who I wanted to talk to really helped me find my voice as well. And even more so lately, I've just kind of been putting even more thoughts and maybe more controversial ideas out there and just being like, well, this is who I am. I'm just going to be me and put it out there. And some people are going to vibe with it and other people won't. And I'll be talking to the people that vibe with it. (laughs) And the other people, they don't have to listen. That's okay. Um, We each, you know, we each have different paths to follow and people to vibe with and people that inspire us. So I'm just happy to have listeners and to watch the listeners grow, the listener list grow and to feel like, okay, well, 
pe- some people are definitely vibing with it and to hear back from listeners thanking me for the content and thanking me for what I am putting out there. So that, that fuels me and keeps me going for sure. Could you share with us one of the things that you maybe hesitated about and then decided that could could go on your podcast after all? Um well, I well, I think recently more just kind of speaking from my heart, like I guess the more recent podcasts I one was um you know talking about nourishment and the three um the three pegs or legs of nourishment and really t- starting to talk about right relationship and what I believe right relationship to be um and, you know, a little bit more philosophical. So, yes, yeah, so really, really indeed exposing some of yourself. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah a, lot of, a lot of the episodes are, you know, I dive deep into herbs that, that cue in with the season. And, you know, we talk about, I talk about the folklore and the uses and recipes. And so those have been really fun. They're very research intensive. And I've been very busy doing other things, um, so I haven't had the time to do the research. So in some ways, it's kind of forced me to be like, okay, well, what am I, I'm just going to have to speak from my heart now. Ah, right. <laughs> when all else fails, here's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can no longer hide behind what yeah. others say. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Someone once told me that the only true gift that we can give others is our authentic self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been, you know, I've been uh, learning more about even just marketing because that's the whole thing with oh, having an herb school or even just having classes that I want to promote and put out there is like, well, you know, it's interesting to learn about marketing from that aspect. I think a lot of herbalists that are career oriented are, learning more about how do we market ourselves authentic, authentically without feeling weird about it. Um, like how can we just really put ourselves out there? How can I really put myself out there just as who I am? And that's going to attract, you know, the right people and not to worry about having to attract everyone, you know, just, just the people that w- would find value in what I have to offer. Isn't that relaxing? It, yeah, it definitely takes a load off for sure. I mean, I think when I first was finding my voice or deciding what, how I wanted to present myself and information into the public, you kind of, I've, it, it, for me, I just wanted to kind of please everyone or I wanted to put out content that everyone could value from. Or, and then I just realized, you know, I, that's, um, that's impossible and, it's a lot of pressure and I just, the more I put my voice out there and spoke more than I could realize, well, this is really where, what I have to offer. This is where my passion lies and this is who I'm talking to. And so it's helped kind of like, and the more you do it, the easier it gets for sure. Yes. Yes. And the difference between folklore and herbal medicine is not 
whether it's anecdotal or scientific. Because anecdotes are valuable. And that's one of the things that you are finding, I believe, is that when you speak to people about your experiences with herbs, it has the most impact. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. It's, it comes across... Um, you can tell them, you know, scientific studies till you're blue in the face. But when right. you tell them that the kid ran off, got plantain, put it on the insect sting, and the insect sting went away, they'll remember that till the day they die. Yeah, story storytelling is huge. I've learned that from you as well in portraying information. It really sticks more. And that's one thing I love to do with the podcast. If I'm ever working with herbs for myself or my family, like sharing those experiences with the audience and and just, you know, being being right out there with it. Like, oh, I had a cold this week. This is what we did for the household. This is what got me through. Um, and I think that's really valuable, and I would love that more, for more people to do that. I mean, I would I would love to inspire more people to have podcasts or just put information out there because I think that herbalism is can be so grassroots and so wonderful, and that we can just share our own experiences and how we relate with the plants, inspiring other people, and then be inspired by them and how they relate and work with the plants and connect with the plants. And that's, there's such a beauty in that. And it's, um, can be very deep and not superficial. Uh, Just take a moment to let those words sink in because it's so, so very important that this isn't about training somebody to know the 10,000 herbs in current usage on the planet in the appropriate botanical names and doses of them, but training people to recognize six plants that grow outside their door. Yes, yeah, and just to connect with them in, in a myriad of ways and then share that connection and that relationship with your friends. Like a wonderful example is a dear friend of mine, you know, there, there's been a head cold going around um, the island. I live on a on a bridged island on the coast of Maine, and all the kids went, started going mask-free in schools, which has been great. Um, but a huge head cold or a variety of head colds have gone around since then. And so, you know, my daughter, and I talked about it in one of the podcasts, but she recovered very quickly. And um, my friend, is who is her teacher, um, his daughter just came down with a similar thing, and she's like, she asked me, she's like, your daughter, you know, you know, seemed to have a much milder case than all the other kids. I need advice. Like, what, what did you do? And she, she being a good friend of mine, already has been working with herbs, you know, so she already had the elderberry syrup that I had made that I had given her, and she had already harvested goldenrod from the fall because, you know, I talked to her about what I'm doing and she's like, oh, I have goldenrod in my yard. So she had already harvested the goldenrod and had it on hand. She's already been drinking the nourishing infusions because she took the Nourish Yourself class uh, with me. So she already had linden on hand. So everything that I had suggested, which was basically very simple, elderberry syrup, goldenrod tea with lots of honey and linden infusion. And she's like, oh, I have all those things. Great. (laughs) 
So it's so wonderful to like see that come to fruition from, you know, that she already had them on hand and when she needed them and we could quickly talk back and forth and be like, Oh, well, what, what worked for you? And Oh, great. I have that. So that's really golden. Yes. Right there. Stage two. yes. Yeah. When, you're sta- when, you're, when the, the students and people around you get to stage two, it's like, Oh, wow. They don't have to go out and find the plant and make it. They have it on hand. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then she and then she got back to me. She's like, for those not golden. in the know, goldenrod is solidago. Yeah. Right, in business school, is solidago. Yeah. So goldenrod is your ally. Yes. Yes, one of them for sure, and it grows in in abundance here especially i mean everywhere but <laughs> definitely on this island it is it is very abundant so but i think it's great for clearing sinus congestion and, and like really stuffy noses for colds and flus and just giving the immune system um some extra support i find it to be really helpful for that so how many and times she, and, how many times have you had to tell people that goldenrod does not cause allergies Oh, it's it's a it's it's a fun anecdote to always tell people. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> when it comes up, oh, golden and and there's so much, you know, it's, it's such a maligned herb, which I find is and weed, which is so funny. It's actually one of the reasons why I named my school after it is because it's so misunderstood, and I think herbalism is often so misunderstood, and um, yeah, and it's, it's it's ironic that it has an office that it can actually help to you know, reverse allergy symptoms when a lot of people think that it causes them. <laughs> <laughs> Very ironic. Yes, well, well, we must point out that the pollens that cause allergies are wind-borne pollens. I mean, hey, yo, obviously there's not a bee coming and pollinating your nose. Right. It's not the bee. <laughs> it's not bee it's pollen that's moved around by bees. It's pollen that's moved around by the wind. And if you go and sit by a patch of goldenrod in the fall, what will you see? Uh, tons of pollinators all around it. Lots of bugs. <laughs> so many different pollinators. It's like, yeah. last call, gang, come and get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and some of the most beautiful wasps I've ever seen like to hang out with the goldenrod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great herb to uh, or weed to promote pollinators, having pollinator or on the edge of pollinator gardens. I don't know if I'd ever say plant goldenrod right in the middle of your beautiful perennial garden because it might take over, but it's a nice edge plant. It will edge in. <laughs> yeah. A very sturdy perennial drought resistant. I know. Oh, I have wow. a problem with it being my ally because now I have a really hard time removing it from my gardens, but it's all right. in the field on the edges of my gardens. It's like, yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are presenting at the Comfrey Conference. Did I you have am. a difficult time deciding what you were going to talk about? Well, I, you know, it's funny when I heard the call out for presenters, I was like, oh, I've been talking about comfrey, you know, I've had classes on comfrey, so I've done a lot of research 
um, because it's an herb that I have always, you know, loved. And then with the Nourish Yourself program, I have a really in-depth class on it. So I didn't know how to, you know, I know you were really asking for, well, let's get really focused, like really pick a focused topic. But so I decided to talk about how Comfrey teaches right relationships. So it is, the talk is, a relative overview of Comfrey, I feel like, in everything I know about it, but from the perspective of um, how Comfrey teaches, how we can be in right relationship with Comfrey, how humans have been in relationship with Comfrey through history and kind of and starting to really examine that and when we were in right relationship, from my opinion, and when we we're in not so right relationship and how we can learn from that and grow from that and how we can move forward um, to be in more right relationship ever growing in the future. And I really think that that is what the conference is all about is bringing people together to expand our relationship with this really wonderful plant and to expand our understanding and appreciation of it. As soon as I met up with this concept of right relationship in in my Buddhist studies, it was something that fascinated me. It was like a, a, a way of talking about things, and even though the word right was being used, it wasn't judgmental. Yeah. That has been a challenge for me in thinking about right, because I don't want to say wrong relationship. <laughs> That's why it's like not so right relationship. It, it is kind of an odd term, but it has a nice ring to it because it's right in relation <laughs> to ours. Yes, yeah, and and it helps us, especially since we don't have a kind of Confucianism overall to tell us about how things are supposed to be related. It helps us to find that inner knowing about it. Mm. I think about how when so many more of us lived on the land and off the land that relationships were very obvious and that if the forest died, the king was put to death. Hmm. Because the forest was was the king. And if the forest wasn't well, then the king was not well, whether you could see it or not. Mm. And in a way, that's a really horrifying thing. And yet it's a very difference of responsibility and co-creation mm. that we've exchanged for um, a, the freedom of not being responsible. Mm-hmm. Which, while it's freeing, also leaves us kind of untethered. Yeah. So you're offering the tether back to people. Come and find your roots here in the earth and bring it into your kitchen and into your life. Yeah. And that is where right relationship starts. Absolutely. I've, the more, I, and I've, so I've been doing this talk I've been thinking a lot about right relationship and even what that means I haven't actually had any formal study in it but just what it means to me that's really where I can speak from and 
And just thinking of all the different relationships that we are involved in and connected with on a daily basis and even just, like I love thinking about how we can be in right relationship with our own microbiome, like to the micro, and then how we can be in right relationship to the whole ecosystem that we are a part of when we walk outside our door and everything in between (laughs) and how important relationships are in health and wholeness. And even, you know, scientifically shown to expand your, extend your life and prevent cardiovascular disease and um, make you healthier to have good relationships. And those don't have to be with only humans. It can be with pets or animals and plants for sure. Absolutely. So. We, we learn right relationship by allowing the things that are already in right relationship to relate with us, the plants, Mm. the animals. And then we do our best to mimic and mirror it back. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really comes from a place of listening, like deep listening, compassionate listening, um, understanding, but from outside of ourselves not understanding just from our own ego, but letting go of the ego and trying to understand the other um, from their perspective and how we can be mutually beneficial and, um, and in so doing, like benefit the whole. Speaking of the whole, what are you cooking these days? Ooh, what am I cooking these days? Well, let's see. I did, I have, I just made this really delicious salad that was um, like grated cabbage and grated carrots and um, a whole bunch of lime and lemon juice and some oil, like olive oil and some rice vinegar and salt and uh, cilantro. And it's good more like a coleslaw, use, Good guess. time to use up the last of that cabbage and the last of those mm-hmm. carrots. I think my carrots are getting pretty hairy and getting all green on their tops. Yeah. And then <laughs> I just, um, you know, let that marinate for a while. And that was, mm. and then I ate that on top of rice recently. I've been craving that, like, crunchy, fresh spring salad feeling. Mm. Um like I made a another salad, and I know, like I really am a big proponent, and I said this in my, one of my podcasts lately, a big promote proponent of cooking food for a long time. I had uh, really good kale that my husband cooked tonight, and he cooked it. He's like, I cooked it for an hour. <laughs> I was like, it's really good. Um, but I made the salad, and I just like slathered it with uh, like guacamole as the dressing. And that <laughs> the, garlic, was really good. the garlic mustard is out there wiggling its ears at me. Ooh, that's exciting. Come and get me. Come and get me. (laughs) Oh, Bridget, I could talk to you all night, but we have used up our time. So I'm going to ask you what you'd like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everybody who's been listening to you. Oh, um, I would say let's bring herbal medicine back to the hearth, back to the kitchen, back to the home. Don't feel like you have to go outside of yourself or to work with the plants. They're right outside your door. Bring them into the kitchen and start right there informing 
your relationships with the plants and it will just grow and expand all on its own from there. And share, share, share. Share, share, share. As Linda Conroy has taken to saying, what if nourishment works? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't go wrong in trying, does. really. It does. It does. <laughs> Thank you, and hooray for Sunday Dago School. And uh, y'all go on over there and check out what she has to offer. And thank you for helping us to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients, which is another way of talking about a net. It's just a more finely woven net. I like that, the weight and the, the heft of that cloak that I can, I can feel, that healing cloak on my shoulders, on anyone's shoulders who would like to, to feel the weight of that cloak, the warmth of it holding you, holding you around, holding you up, that healing cloak of the ancients as we restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Green blessings are all around you. Good night, everybody. <laughs>